right, I'm reading this morning from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. If you want to follow along um, in the Pew Bibles, not the Pew Bibles, the Seat Bibles, it's page 840. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his di disciples said to him, you see this crowd pressing all around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw the commotion and the people weeping and wailing loudly. And, he, and when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told her to give told them to give her something to eat. Thanks, Wendy. Uh, let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and go to that text of Scripture there. We're going to be looking at that part of it and also a little bit before and after as well. Uh, so it's page 840 if you're using uh, one of the, the Bibles provided for you there. Typically, every... Friday night at our house, we have a tradition of pizza and movie night, okay? And uh, usually we do make our own pizzas, or sometimes we'll get pizza from someplace. We're still mourning the loss of Marco's near us, uh, but uh, that was such good pizza. Moving on. Um, and so uh, yeah, we make our own pizzas, and then we, uh, we take turns of whose week it is uh, who gets to pick the movie, okay? And so this last Friday night, the tradition continued uh, with a movie choice that Isaiah certainly did not vote for, okay? 
All right, so if you don't know this movie, this is an, uh, a Jane Austen uh, movie, okay? Well, it's about her book, okay? If you're not familiar with Jane Austen, you're probably a male, okay? Um, so uh, one thing we took away from watching this movie, if you don't know the premise of the movie, basically uh, this character, Emma, uh, is someone who fancies herself as a matchmaker, and is always trying to get people connected and things. And there's one particular friend that she uh, has been trying to help, and uh, it's not working, and it, it's disastrous. And one of the things that we talked about after the movie and even during the movie uh, was uh, how communication failed so many times. There's scenes in there where the character Emma is, is talking about things, and she's thinking she's talking about one thing. Her friend is thinking about, uh, that she's talking about someone else, and so they're both talking about the same ideas, but yet they're talking about two totally different people at the same time, and they just don't know it. Huge communication fail, right? So... We want to do better than Emma, okay? All right? Again, if you're not familiar with the movie, this is like a classic scene, right? Who's seen this movie? Everything? Okay, all right, okay. All right, just, just making sure, okay? There's a classic scene there where, you know, Mr. Knightley, uh, you know, says, uh, you know, badly done, Emma, badly done. And uh, it's a very pivotal scene in the movie. Um, we want to do better than Emma. We want to communicate better than that. So we're starting a new sermon series called Grounded, okay? So here's the question, though, is what do we mean by grounded, okay? What do we mean by that? Okay, so I want to make sure that I'm not using a term in the sermon series where I think I'm communicating one thing and you're thinking of something else, okay? So what are we talking about here with this? Well, if we, if we look just at a strict definition of the word, if you look it up in the dictionary, you're going to find that it means mentally, emotional stable, emotionally stable, uh, sensible, realistic, unpretentious. Okay, so they, those are some of the words that are used to describe this. More than working out a definition of the word, what I'm going to do over the next six weeks is we're going to talk about some concepts from the Bible, okay? And so I just want to give you some, some, maybe some pictures from three texts of scriptures real fast here on the front end of the sermon series so you kind of have an idea of, of what we're aiming towards, okay, and what we're trying to communicate when we say grounded. Uh, first text is in Psalm 121 where it says this. It says, uh, I lift my eyes uh, to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, okay? He who keeps you will not slumber. This idea of steadfast, that, that you're, you're, you're on a rock and solid, this is, this is part of the concept that we're talking about with this idea of grounded. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. This idea of anchored is what we're talking about with grounded, okay? In a boat, if you don't want to drift away from someplace, you put the anchor down. I remember going fishing with my dad as a kid, and if we want, didn't want to be drifting away, we wanted to stay in the spot, we chucked the anchor down, and then boom, we just stayed put there, right, okay? That's the idea here. So grounded, this idea we're not drifting away from truth, okay? Steady, secure. One other passage, and this is probably one that is, is the most descriptive in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my beloved brother, 
brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your Lord, uh, knowing in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Okay? And so this is the goal. This is the goal for us to live this grounded life where we're anchored. It doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. We're on a firm foundation. We're not drifting away. We're abounding in the work of the Lord. And so what we're going to do over the next six weeks, including this week, we're going to ask several questions, okay? You don't have to write these down or anything. I'm just kind of giving you a lay of the land on week one here. Um, you know, so what we're going to a- answer today is, how can I live a grounded life when, how can I live grounded when life has been so difficult? So that's what we're going to dive into today. So maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're coming here today and you're like, you know, this idea of living grounded sounds great, but man, my life is chaotic. You, or, or, or you don't know what's going on in my life. Or you don't know all the, the setbacks I've had in my life and all the difficulties and the pain and the sorrow. We're going we're gonna to dive into that a little bit today. Uh, next week, we're going to look at this, this, this question of, you don't know the real me. In other words, you don't know what I've done, okay? You don't know who I really am. Is a grounded life even possible for someone like me? Okay, that's what we're going to look at next week. In a couple weeks, how can I live grounded when anxiety just crushes me? Uh, when I started ministry a little over 20 years ago, 20, 22, 23 years ago, whatever it's been, um, uh, this idea of anxiety was not something that uh, I really ever remember even talking about a whole lot, um, particularly with teenagers uh, when I was ministering as a youth pastor. Um, but today, it's a completely different landscape completely different. Uh, I, I teach high school students on Fridays, and this subject comes up, okay, anxiety. Uh, but it's not just in high schoolers, right? All of us. Very important. On September 18th, we'll talk about that. How can I live grounded when I'm just so busy? Maybe you're like, yeah, I would love not to be drifting away, but do you let me just show you my calendar, Jeremy. Let me just show you everything that's going on, right? It's just pushing me all over the place. I, I am running. We are running all over the place. There's meetings, and there's this, and there's that, and there's pressures, and there's school, and all these things. I just, I, I don't think this is possible. We'll talk about that, okay? Uh, then how can I live grounded when I can't seem to get traction in life? You're like, I've tried so many times. I've tried all the things. I've read all the books. I've, I've, I've downloaded the apps and everything. I just can't seem to get traction. We'll talk about that. And then finally, if I can start over, I would be able to live a grounded life. Are mulligans possible? <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll end with talking about is it possible to get a mulligan in life, okay? So that's, that's kind of the outline of the series, okay, where we're, we're planning on going. This is what we mean by grounded, this idea of a steadfast uh, rooted in Christ and uh, in a way that we're not drifting away here. So, so today, his question is, is how can I live a grounded life when uh, life is so difficult? Now, that question is multifaceted and can be discussed in a host of different ways. What I'm going to do today, uh, I'm going to offer two action steps that we must do in order to live a grounded life, Okay. Now, certainly, there's much more that could be said on this subject, but it's not less than what I'm going to say. Uh, uh, it's certainly not less than about what I'm about to share, okay? So we, we could say more, but it's definitely not less, okay, than at least these two things. And so those two action steps are that we need to understand Mark's point in this text. So we're going to look at this text of Scripture, and then we have to embrace Jesus' power, okay? So those are two action steps that we're going to discuss over the next few minutes. But before we do, let me just pause and pray. And ask God's blessing, okay? Father, anytime we endeavor to look at your word with, uh, with in detail, we want to do so with great care. Uh, 
this is your word. Uh, this isn't ours. Uh, we've gathered today to worship you. We've gathered today to be encouraged, to be rebuked and encouraged and strengthened and fortified by your word. Lord, we've already been encouraged through the singing and the scripture reading. And now as we've, we've opened the text of scripture, God, we pray we do so with care and reverence and that your spirit would use uh, your word and whatever I'm about to say for, for your namesake and for your glory. God, only your spirit can accomplish what needs to happen. No amount of uh, oratory skill or outlines or graphics or anything can accomplish what only your spirit can do. And so that's what we're asking now. God, please use this time to draw our hearts towards you. My own first and everyone who's gathered here and people who are listening online. At the end of this time together, may you receive the glory and honor that you truly do deserve. And may we have a better sense of what it's like to live grounded even when life is difficult. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. First of all, understanding Mark's point. Now, Wendy read a section for us in chapter 5, okay, and it's a little bit longer section, and, and we talked about two different miracles in that section that, that she read. This is actually kind of in the beginning of a longer section. The section really starts in chapter 4, verse 35, and it ends in chapter 6 and verse 6, okay? And so if you want, just, 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 just scan, just turn, turn the page back to chapter 4, verse 35, and then we're going to see that there's a story there about Jesus calming the storm. Now, one of the things when you're interpreting the scriptures, you want to look for repetition. You want to look for ways that the author were to, to what he was trying to communicate in that text of scripture. Okay. Now, the, one of the ways that we can do this is we look at some literary devices that are often used. And some of that is repetition. So if you'll see themes repeated in the same text, you know, that's the emphasis right there. But another way to do that is uh, the, the fancy term is called inclusio and literary uh, uh, world, but really what it is is talking about it's like a bookend. You kind of think of it like a sandwich, okay? And that's really what happens here. And so you'll see often that a New Testament author would do this uh, to put something on the front end, something on the back end that are the exact same, and it kind of makes the sandwich approach to at what he's given us. Now, the reason why he was doing this was because a lot of times this was transmitted orally rather than written at the time. And so when you can do it in that way, it was much easier for people to remember. So what, 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 what's, what's about this, uh, the calming of the storm? Well, we see in verse 35, it says, That day uh, they came over, I'm in chapter 4 of Mark, evening to come, he says, let's go onto the other side. Okay, they leave a crowd, they go with them, there's boats with them, we see here. But look at verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. All right? But he was, this is Jesus, he was in the stern, so he's in the back of the boat, okay, asleep on the cushion, okay? Now, I don't know if that means there was only one cushion in the boat and Jesus got it, or if he just happened to be on a cushion. I don't know what that means, but all I know is that Jesus, in the middle of a storm, is on a cushion in the back of the boat, fast asleep, okay? They woke him, continuing on, and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, okay, now here's the verse 40. This is the key part here, okay? Uh, this, is, this is what Mark is really driving at here. He says, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? 
And they were filled with great fear. They said one to another, who then is this that even wind and the sea obey him? Okay? Now, I want you to drop down to chapter 6 for a second, okay? I'm just showing you what Mark is doing here, okay? In chapter 6, this is after the reading that Wendy gave us before. Jesus has healed this daughter of this nobleman. He's also healed a woman that had a, a long disease for over 12 years, okay? Now in chapter 6, he goes from there, verse 1, and he comes to his hometown. And the disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he begins to teach in the synagogue, his synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? That's a key phrase I'll come back to. And brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his, own, his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now look at verse 6. And he marveled because of what? What does it say? Their unbelief. Right? Okay, so in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, we have that Jesus is saying, have you still no faith? Then we have all the events of chapter 5, which we're going to talk about. Then we get to chapter 6, in the beginning of chapter 6, and he goes to his hometown, and he's marveling. He's astonished at unbelief. So there's the sandwich, okay? Jesus being astonished at unbelief in chapter 4 about the call me the Red Sea. Jesus being astonished at unbelief in his own hometown. Then what's all in the middle there? What's the point? What's the point here? The point is, is that what Mark is doing here is he's showing us two things with this. First of all, he's showing us the importance of faith. He is saying that this is crucial to us surviving this life, to us uh, living a life, and for our sermon series purposes, grounded, we could say, is, is that we have to have faith, he says here. Okay? Now, the reason why I know that he's continuing this theme, because remember, when Wendy was reading this text of Scripture in, in chapter 5, and in, in the woman who was healed, remember the story we just read here of how she, she, just, she goes and she says, if I can just touch Jesus' garment, then I will be healed. And so she does that, right? And, and she's healed immediately right away. And then Jesus stops. Now, let me, let me just set the scene here for a second here. A nobleman has come to him. Mark gives him a name. Mark gives this person a name. He's an important person. He comes to Jesus and says, you need to heal my son, okay? You need to heal my daughter. Excuse me. You need to heal my daughter. And so Jesus goes with him immediately. Just starts going with him. There's a crowd around, and they're walking through. Now, put yourself in this nobleman's spot for a second. You've got Jesus that you, he's your only hope, and, and, and you're going to your daughter, okay, you, that you are just so concerned for, right? I mean, he, if, if, if you're a parent, you understand this. So you're saying that, that, that you just so want your, your, your child to be healed from whatever it is, and that's what's going through this man's mind. And they're walking through, and so he's got Jesus with him, and all of a sudden Jesus just stops, just starts looking around. What are you thinking if you're the nobleman? You're not thinking, well, it's a good time for lunch, you know? No, you're thinking, what's the holdup here? We, 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 we got to keep going. And then he starts this conversation with this woman. He says, well, first of all, he, not with the woman, he says, who touched me? The woman comes forward, says it was me. How does Jesus respond to her? He emphasizes her faith. So 
Sandwiched in the first part is Jesus is astonished at the disciples' unbelief. The bottom part, he's astonished at his hometown's unbelief. But right here in the middle, right here in the middle, we have this woman. This woman who just in an act of faith reached out and clinged and, and wanted to take hold of Jesus. And she was healed. Can't you see what Mark is doing here? And before that, before that, there's a story about Jesus, and we, we didn't read it, and I won't take time to read through the whole thing, but in chapter 5, if you were to read through the whole thing there, you would see in the beginning part of it that Jesus, then he's casting out a demon. Is it that there's, there's a demon, that there's, there's this guy that's this demon-possessed that no one can help. I mean, people have tried to help, and so it's to the point where he's such a danger, they're chaining him up, and, and they're trying to keep him, and he's just breaking through the, uh, free of the chains, and he's terrorizing the town, and Jesus, in a word, it's actually even in his presence. He just walks up to him, and the demons leave. It's an amazing concept here. What Mark is doing here, the point that Mark is doing is he's showing the importance of faith. He's showing what Jesus is capable of and why we should believe in him. And so the woman was healed because of her faith. G Jarius and, and company, the nobleman, and his, his crew with him had no reason to fear but to believe. Because if you look at in verse 35 of chapter 5, while he's still speaking, he's talking to this lady, someone comes up from the nobleman, from the ruler's house, and someone says, your daughter is dead. You don't need to trouble the teacher any further. Man, put yourself in his spot. Your heart just crashes. You, you were on the way. The teacher was coming. The one who could heal, the one who, the one who calms storms, the one who cast out demons. He was coming to the house. If we would have just gotten there, if we would have just gotten there. But what does Jesus tell him? He says, do not fear, only believe. Faith and belief, same word, right? Okay, in the Greek New Testament, same word. One's just a full, one comes in the form of a verb, one comes in the form of a noun. Same root word, though. So this is the theme. This is what Mark is doing here for us. He's given us this theme that faith is crucial to this life. A lot of times we think about faith as being only important for the life to come. But what Mark is telling us, no, no, no. In order for to live a life that's grounded and unmovable, always abounding, we have to have faith. And again, it's not saying that things are going to be easy. It's not saying that all the, the difficulties are going to go away. It's not saying that all of a sudden you're going to get a bunch of money and things like that. The Bible never teaches that. There are some preachers that proclaim that and they're wrong. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible does teach that he wants to provide for his children, but he never promises that we'll have a life without, ease, without problems or a life of ease. And so the first thing is, that if we're going to understand Mark's point here, is we have to understand, first of all, that there's this, this importance of faith, but also then there's this idea of this devastation of unbelief here. And I'm going to move through this pretty quickly here. Unbelief is utterly astonishing to Jesus. Think about that for a second. Something that who, okay, let me back up. The person who spoke the world into existence, the person who we have just read about, who cast out demons, right? It is very powerful. What the Bible says astonishes him is not the fact that you're a sinner. That's, that's a surprising to God. God knows that you're a sinner, right? God understands the weaknesses of humans. But what is kind of, you know, astonishing to God, according to this text, is that people don't believe. 
He's like, I've made it as easy as possible. And it's not so much that he didn't know that that was coming. It was more of like, you know, I just, wow. Like, what more do I have to do? Right? And this was Mark's point, is that, that unbelief is astonishing to Jesus. Now, we get into this interesting verse here in chapter 6, verse 5. That unbelief also now is astonishing to Jesus, but it appears that it limits Jesus in some ways. You're like, wait a minute here. I thought Jesus was God, and God can do anything. All right? Okay, well, let's look at the text, okay? In verse 5 of chapter 6, it says, And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. This is after when they took offense to him, and they were ashamed of him, right? Um, I told you uh, that they were mocking him. I'm going to explain that in a minute here. What, but, but when it says that Jesus could do no mighty work there, was it because he was unable? No, 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 that's not what it is. And it's not because Jesus was powerless, po- is, is powerless in the presence of unbelief. It's not like unbelief is kryptonite to Jesus. Remember Superman? You remember, you know, remember those movies? I remember those, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the older movies. And, uh, you know, I think Gene Hackman was in one of them, right? And, say, and then it's like Superman, he's super strong. And then like just bring out this little green thing or whatever it was. He's like, ah. <laughs> he can't do anything. And he's, he's like in a pool or something. I can't remember what Superman this was or whatever. You can look it up later on YouTube. I'm sure it's there. And so, you know, you get this. this, this, this it's not like that with Jesus. It's not like someone has unbelief and Jesus is just like, oh, I can't do it. No, no, that's not what's going on here. What is going on is that unbelief limits Jesus because it means that people won't come to him. That people won't come to him and cry out to him in faith. You see, that's what Jesus operates on. Jesus operates on people that come to him in faith, and he draws people, but the point is, is that you still have to come to him. You still have to believe in him. That's why it limits him. He says, if you're not going to come to me in faith, that's not going to happen. You see, unbelief is absolutely devastating to us. And that's what Mark's point is is that faith is absolutely crucial to our lives. If we're going to live a life that's grounded, we're going to live a life that in the midst of difficulties in life and storms of life and things like that, that if we can still be anchored on, uh, on solid ground, we have to have faith. Mark's point is clear. And it's also clear, it's equally clear, that, that unbelief is absolutely devastating. And how do we see unbelief here in Mark? And I could take time to go through the whole book here, but let me just, in, in chapter 3, Religious leaders accuse Jesus of being an agent of Satan. That's unbelief, okay? In case you wondered, if you accuse Jesus of being an agent of Satan, that's unbelief, okay? All right, all right, just in case that was a question mark, okay? Now you say, okay, well, that's good. I've never done that, all right? Okay, well, then the disciples, they're actually, we read about it, they're accusatory towards Jesus, okay? Did you, did you pick up on that? Did you pick up on that when it says there, it says, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're accusatory toward Jesus. You, you don't care about what I'm going through. Okay. Now it's starting to get a little closer to home, right? You may not have accused Jesus of being an agent of Satan, but I think most of us, if we're going to be honest, we've had an accusatory stance towards Jesus a time or two in our lives. It's unbelief. Uh, demons, they try to intimidate and negotiate with Jesus. Uh, I, 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 I didn't talk about that as whole, uh, a whole lot there due to time, but that's what they do in chapter 5 here. The herdsmen and the townspeople, they tell Jesus to leave them alone. So after Jesus uh, heals this man uh, and uh, takes the demons out and everything, the people there, because it messed with their livelihood, they, 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 they beg Jesus to leave from them. The mourners, they mock Jesus when Jesus 
says, when Wendy read this text, he says, why are you making a commotion of weeping? This is verse 39 of chapter 5. The child is not dead, but sleeping in verse 40. And they laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. They mocked him. And then, of course, we read in chapter 6 that these home folk, that Jesus' home people, they were offended and they were embarrassed by Jesus here. They took offense to him. Even his family, remember, we read in chapter 3 of Mark and verse 21, they were ashamed at Jesus because of the things he was saying and the things he was doing. I told you there was an important phrase when it says the son of Mary in verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph? In, a, in the Bible, whenever a, a child was, was discussed, they always talked about the son of, and they would talk about the father. They would not talk about the mother. Uh, it was just the way genealogies went. It was the way, the way it worked in, in that culture. Um, except, except when there was great shame that they wanted to talk about. So, like, for instance, in the book of Judges, there's an, there's an opportunity where they, they, they want to they bring shame upon a certain man, and so they call him, well, he is the son of a prostitute. They didn't say the son of his father's name. Well, with Jesus here, of course, there's this idea of, you know, they, were, they weren't saying this in faith about the whole virgin birth. They were saying, he's the son of this Mary who made this up. He won't even claim his real dad. I mean, this, this is what was going on in his hometown. They were, they were mocking him and making fun of him. So this is unbelief here. So this is what Peter, excuse me, Mark wants us to understand. Mark wants us to understand that if we're going to live grounded, it's got to be built in faith. And he understands that it is just absolutely devastating not to believe in Jesus. But I told you there's two things. There's two action steps that we want to do today, okay? The first one, a little bit longer in, and that is, you know, we need to understand Mark's point here. So that's what we've done. We've outlined what Mark is trying to communicate here. Hopefully it's helpful to you. You see the importance of faith and devastation of unbelief. But the second action step is that we really have to embrace Jesus' power. You see, that's the other part of what Mark is trying to accomplish here. He's trying to show us why Jesus is worthy of faith, okay? It's one thing for me to be say up here and say, hey, listen, you all need to trust me, okay? So if I were to come up here, and I were to say, uh, listen, here's the deal. Uh, uh, for uh, your financial future, okay, you need to follow all the advice I give you. And here's the advice. Okay, I give you this advice. Hopefully, what you're thinking in your mind first before doing anything I say is, so what qualifies you to give me this advice? <laughs> right? And if I say, well, listen, here's the deal. Here's what qualifies me. All right, I've got $120,000 in debt right now, okay? All right, so listen, the best way forward is when you start from the bottom, so you got to listen to me, okay? All right, here's how we're going to get. You would say, let me know how it works out for you, and then, then come and talk to me, right? Okay, right? I would have no credibility, right? So what Mark is doing here is he's showing the importance of faith, and he's showing the importance in the devastation of unbelief. But in the process, he's showing why we can follow Jesus and why he is worthy of our faith, and he is worthy of, of being all in and saying, you know what, it doesn't matter what's happening in life. When I look at Jesus, when I keep my eyes focused on him, that's going to give me the, the steadfastness that I need. That's going to give me the assurance that I need. That's going to uh, bind me to the rock that I need if I keep my eyes on Christ. But what Mark is doing is he's given us he's given us a great 
a great treatise here on why we should believe in Jesus and we should embrace his power. There's several ways that Jesus' power is displayed here. He shows his power over nature here. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in each one of these. I'm just going to give these to you with just a brief comment or two about each one. But you see, you, we, that first story here uh, in, the, in, this, in this section here of, of, of Jesus distilling the storms of life. I don't know if you've ever been caught in a storm before, but it can be absolutely terrifying. I remember being fishing with my dad one time, and, and we were seeing thunderstorms rolling in. And it was like, we got to get in as fast as possible because we were in a 14-foot aluminum boat, okay, on a pretty big lake in Michigan, and waves were, were starting to get pretty big and things like that. I remember dad just saying, we got to get out now, okay? He did not want to be in, that, in the storms on the water uh, during, in the middle of a storm, and I didn't blame him. I don't know if you've ever been caught in a tornado or something like that. And it's just absolutely, it can be absolutely just amazing, the power of these storms here. It just like takes houses. I mean, after Hurricane Katrina, my wife and I, we were down in Louisiana for five months. And we were helping rebuild and helping uh, with relief efforts down there. And, and uh, I remember going to try to find houses and to visit people and to see some of the world, have the apps, uh, or not the apps, I didn't have that then, but the, the, uh, the address is the word I was looking for. The address. And then we'd go to find it and we'd come up to it and there's nothing there. And then we'd find out that the house had like moved down or fl- floated away a couple blocks or it had just been absolutely leveled. There's massive, massive boats just being pushed up on shore onto the land way far in. I was amazed at the power that these storms evidently had. And yet Jesus, with a word, says, stop. I mean... We're amazed if we tell our children, hey, stop that, and they stop it. We, we want to be like, I hope you all saw that. <laughs> you know, I said stop, and they stopped. <laughs> all right, let's go to bed now because we're going to end on a high note here, right? A storm, Jesus says, stop. It's done. Power over nature, it's amazing. The word, the wind and the sea were still. Power over not only nature, but power over demons, right? I mean, this is the whole demon-possessed man in the beginning of chapter 5 here. This is Jesus has power over the supernatural, right? I mean, whatever you believe about the supernatural, okay, Jesus has power over it. The Bible is clear that there are uh, uh, spirits, right, in terms of, of, of angelic spirits. The Bible is very clear about that. The Bible is clear that there are demons, as we read right here. How all that flushes out in today's society, I don't know. But I just know that the Bible teaches that it exists. And I also know that the Bible teaches that Jesus has power over it. That's an amazing concept to me, all right? And so when no earthly power could help the sky, uh, it was just Jesus walking up to them. And, and, and so he says, come out of the man, right? In fact, when Jesus walked up to him, it says, in verse 6 of chapter 5, it says, uh, the man ran down and fell before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me, okay? And he's talking to the unclean spirit there, and he says, the demon, he says, get out of him. The word, the very presence of Jesus made the demons tremble, tremble. Power over disease. 
not only nature and demons, but also power of disease. You know, as I told you, Mark, he sandwiches this lady's story here with the account, within the account of Jairus' daughter here to force us to compare the two stories. You see, Jairus, he had a name, he had status. The woman has no name, we don't know. She has no status. They both had problems that only Jesus could solve. They both were helped by Jesus. In fact, Jesus interrupts his assistance of the nobleman to help the unclean woman. This was an influential religious official. Do you not think that that would have helped his earthly campaign to help and make sure that this guy was taken care of? Do you not think that he would have had influence? Jesus didn't care about that. Jesus didn't care about that. He knew what he was doing. He has power over disease there. And then, ultimately... Not just that, of course, he has power over death. We see this with healing and raising this man's daughter from the dead. Not even death is outside Jesus' power. Think about this. See, this is why we can live grounded. It's right here. It's because it doesn't matter what's happening to us. It doesn't matter uh, all these types of things, okay? I mean, you may be in a situation where you're dealing with uh, uh, the effects of nature, whatever it is, that has made your life difficult. You may have had situations where it seems like there has been oppression or something that is just uncanny or out of this world that's been complicating your life. You may be dealing with disease or sickness or something like that, you know, You may be on the brink of death, and who knows, right? But here's the point. Jesus has power over it all. And that's why we can say, okay, if this is what he brings my way, it's not going to rattle me. It's not going to move me. It's not going to make it so that I will not keep focused on what I'm supposed to do, my purpose in life. And your purpose in life is to glorify God, which is in heaven. And so... We can live grounded because of Jesus' power. So, uh, and per- let me just say this, though. Perhaps you're a bit of a skeptic when it comes to miracles, okay? And I understand that, okay? Some of the things that we're talking about here are like, wow, do you really believe that? Do you ever believe all that happened? I'm like, yeah, I do. Okay, you say, okay, all right. Well, let me just encourage you to dive into this a little bit more. If you're a little bit of a skeptic when it comes to the idea of miracles, can I just give you a couple of resources that I would encourage you to read? And I, I actually made a link to these um, in the church app under sermon notes or sermon resources, and so you can, you can find the link to that. The first book is a book written by C.S. Lewis. It's called Miracles, okay? In that, ca- in that book, he makes the case that uh, it is not uh, anti-intellectual, uh, to embrace miracles. Now, the reason why I, there's a lot of books I could have recommended on this, but this is the reason why I did this book uh, is I'm recommending this book is because C.S. Lewis started out as an atheist. Okay, he's not someone who grew up in church. He's not someone who someone who just you know just went and tried to uh, find evidence of miracles to prove his existing faith in, in Jesus Christ. He's coming from a position of that he, for a much of his life, was a skeptic and atheist and did not believe in God, did not believe in Jesus Christ. And he's arguing in this book why miracles are not a reason uh, to not believe in Christ, okay? So I would recommend that one, C.S. Lewis, Miracles, okay? The other one is the same title, Miracles, more of an academic uh, work if you're more inclined with that. A lot of philosophy in the front end. It's a two-volume set on Miracles by Craig Keener, okay? 
Craig Keener is a gifted theologian that does not know how to write short books, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, so there's two volumes set on this. Excellent. First book is very much so philosophical. If that's your jam, you want to dive into the philosophy of this, that's your book, okay? Second part of it is all stories, firsthand stories, okay? So it's interesting that way there. Those are two books I'd recommend. If you're a skeptic, kind of wonder about miracles, and uh, is this really true? Is this just fantasy? Is it just something that is just a, um, their stories to help us, but they really didn't happen? Let me encourage you to read those books, and I can talk to you more about that afterwards if you'd like there. So as I bring this to a conclusion, what does it mean, or what does embracing Jesus' power mean practically, right? Okay, so how can you do this? How can you, so we're trying to live grounded, how can you say, okay, I'm going to embrace Jesus' power? What does that mean? <laughs> you know, all right. Let me just tell you, in a really, there's a lot of ways we could flesh this out, but I think one of the most practical ways is that when we do what the New Testament tells us to do, in the book of James, First Peter, is that when we cast our care upon Jesus because he cares for us, that's what it means. It means that when we are in a situation of life difficulties, instead of going to despair, we go to Jesus. Instead of saying, I, there's no way that, that this could be, have any possible good, we look at Jesus and say, okay, you've got power over this, right? So practically, it means that, that in, the, in the difficulties of life, Jesus is the first person we run to. And we do it because we have faith in him, knowing that he has power over anything, anything. You see, Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 8, he came to take our sorrows and bear our illnesses as a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy there. So here's, here's a beautiful takeaway in this, is this. Jesus, he doesn't expect you to be stronger than a storm. He doesn't expect you to be mightier than demons or immune to every disease. He doesn't expect you to be immortal. See, Jesus is all that for you. God does expect you, though, to believe in him. That's it, right? He, he, I think one of the reasons why Mark gives us all these stories is because, you know, sometimes we want to approach this and say, okay, I'm going to be stronger than this, or I'm going to be mightier, I'm going to be wiser than this. And that's like Mark is like, please don't go down that path. That's what Jesus is for. That's why he did all those things. I just want you to believe in him. That's it. So think about it. A murderous storm was stopped at Jesus' word. The powers of hell were brought to their knees by Jesus' presence. Twelve years of shame, frustration, and disappointment were resolved with a momentary touch from Jesus. A young girl regains her life when Jesus takes her hand. What could Jesus' power do for you in the midst of your difficulty? Belief in Jesus is the only way to live grounded. Remember, unbelief is astonishing to Jesus and devastating to us. So I'll close with this. When the forces of nature seem against you, when hell itself seems to be unleashed upon you, when you can't find relief from ailments of this life and it's costing you everything, please fall at Jesus' feet. It's only there where you live grounded.